0: Just saying, episode number one. So, thanks for listening. Let's talk philosophy, let's talk politics, let's talk current events, let's talk comedy, let's make some music, let's find out what happens. This is Monday, and whenever it is, wherever you're listening, this was recorded Monday, March 18th, 2019, for your contemporary reference. You may have heard about this tragic shooting in New Zealand. Probably if you aren't living under a rock somewhere, you have actually heard about this terrible event. And sometimes it's okay to to know about terrible events because there's something to learn. So I'm talking about the Christchurch mosque shootings in New Zealand, which happened just three days ago, March 15th. Now there's another tragedy previous to this one and in fact just barely previous that is the <coughs> excuse me Jolo Cathedral bombings which happened in the Philippines Now even if you weren't living under a rock there's a very good chance that somehow you did not hear about this one How is that possible? How is it possible that, although January 27th, 2019, barely two weeks prior to this terrible shooting in New Zealand, two bombs exploded at the Cathedral Church of Our Lady of Mount Carmel in the Philippines, Jolo? is the place. Twenty people were killed and 102 others injured. So that happened. And somehow I haven't seen the outcry, I haven't seen the concern, haven't seen the sheer energy put into talking about this terrible bombing at this cathedral in Jolo in the Philippines, which killed about 20 Christians and seriously injured about 100 more. So, just saying, kill a bunch of Christians in the Philippines, it's a minor event. Minor. Oh, and by the way, the Islamic State, if I remember correctly, took credit for that bombing. So there's no doubt that it was Muslims killing Christians. So Muslims kill Christians in the Philippines. And there's some acknowledgement of it in the international media. Yes, we all understand it's a terrible thing. But the extended outcry seems to have been reserved for the March 15th event just three days later in Christchurch, New Zealand when a gunman or a team, however many people it was, killed about 50 Muslims. And this man managed to live stream the event on Facebook and people have uploaded the footage to YouTube and there is just all kinds of outcry over this one. So what is it? What's going on here? Just saying, this is, this is something to look at. Kill a bunch of Christians in the Philippines. Uh, oh, that's sad. That's a bad thing. Kill a bunch of Muslims in New Zealand. Everybody everywhere just losing his mind, just out of his mind. I'm going to be bold here and I'm going to draw a connection between deplatforming speakers who are trying to and who do address the problems that frequently arise from forced racial integration and this terribly violent event in New Zealand. So, people like Richard Spencer, who are interested in bringing up an uncomfortable conversation, which goes something like The happiest and the safest nations in the world are those nations which are racially, ethnically, religiously homogenous, and racial, religious, Integration where people groups of a pluralistic background, particularly Christian and non Christian backgrounds, or Christian and Muslim backgrounds, are attempting to live in the same society. Well, it just doesn't work out very well. Just doesn't. And because people like Richard Spencer and others, not so much like Richard Spencer, but Stefan Molyneux, Lauren Southern, who recently visited Oceania, and were deplatformed in either both Australia and New Zealand as they attempt to have conversations about these kinds of events. And they sold out theaters and then were not allowed to speak. To the people who would pay good money to hear them talk about these kinds of challenging difficult and uncomfortable topics so listen those of you who would like to preserve a little something called civilization there are essentially three approaches two of which seem to kind of work the first is we can pretend that there isn't any problem and not talk to each other. Now, you see, the reason I say two, not three approaches that can kind of work is because that one is when civilization is beginning to break down in a more creeping and dysfunctional way. What I mean is when people can't have open and honest conversations about what's happening or what should be happening or What shouldn't be happening, as the case may be, when they can't do that, and the solution that they choose is to ignore each other and not talk, nothing productive gets done. If those two individuals or two parties, or more than two, can't have a conversation, then all of a sudden productivity is hamstrung. This is something I've seen in Greece, which has all kinds of petty problems that have kept it a weak... Weak, 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 and effete economic force ever since its quote-unquote independence from the Ottoman Turks. It's just a series of failures. A dear friend of mine who is a very nationalistically minded Greek has said that something like this country, the, the country of modern Greece, was just a failure from the beginning. Almost a failure by design. I remember vacationing on one of my favorite islands, and being told that people, now these are people living in the same country, are ostensibly the same race and ethnicity. People who live on the mainland two hours away from this particular island think that people that are from the island are weird. So this is a country where clearly the ability to have internal conversations that work is not at a super high functioning level, and what do you know? There are levels of infrastructure and organization. Ability to simply get things done, like a modern nation, is hamstrung. That shouldn't be too surprising because they're taking this approach, which is a non-approach, which is just we do a lot of ignoring each other, a lot of ignoring the difficult conversations. And so what happens is a low level of function ensues as normal. Now, there are two other ways, and these two other ways are basically what people do. Number one, difficult things need to be addressed, so we hash them out in conversation, and we determine what should be done, what shouldn't be done, and what's going to be done or what's not going to be done. When we determine those things by having conversations, however heated, however challenging those conversations may be, then we have a chance of preserving and even developing and, yes, even improving civilization as we know it. But There is another option, and this can work, and does work. But it comes at an exceedingly high price. And you probably guess what I'm talking about. I'm talking about violence. I'm talking about warfare. I'm talking about getting physical. So what I'm saying is, in a culture where difficult conversations get shut down instead of being had as they should be. What we can expect and what we should expect if we are reasonable and prudent people is we should expect violence. We should expect violence to break out because As a functioning society, in a functional arrangement called a a civilization, if I can say the word, that would be nice, wouldn't it? We're either going to talk about things or we're going to fight about things. but there's less violence involved. In fact, we can avoid violence violence altogether, I say, if we're willing to have the right kind of conversations in a rigorous enough way. But that stands with a meta-principle, which is enshrined as the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States, something generally known as free speech. You see, without freedom of speech the mechanism by which civilization can be preserved, purified, cleansed, enhanced, and developed, is gone. Therefore, the technique that will be resorted to is violence. So what I'm saying is, people, look, have difficult conversations when those conversations are necessary. And how do you know when they're necessary? It's when those are the conversations that people are trying to have. Let the people have their conversations. As opposed to let them eat cake, I say... Let them talk, let them speak to each other. Let them disagree, let them agree. Let them find a way forward through dialogue, using the tools of rhetoric. But if that fails, be forewarned, violence is coming. And we saw some of that violence in New Zealand. Heretofore, one of the safest places in the world. Once again, just saying, a bunch of Christians get blown up in the Philippines and we get sort of a shrug from the international community with some outrage with some condolences etc cetera, etc cetera. but oh no 50 muslims get killed by a maniac in new zealand and everyone's just beside themselves It's good to notice this. It's good to observe this. And it's good to say something about it. You've got to speak up when it's time to speak up. A number of years ago, about 20 years ago now, one of my clients who was a young woman, senior in high school, I believe at the time, she committed suicide. She killed herself. I did not see that coming at all. It was shocking and it was sad. And reflecting upon another death by suicide, there was a porn star named Mercedes Grabowski who killed herself, it seems, after perhaps being the target of cyberbullying, because she refused to shoot a scene with another actor who had done homosexual porn. And then she tweeted a warning to whoever was replacing her, saying, hey, just so you know, girl who's going to replace me, they're booking you to work with the man does gay porn. Because the disease risks are known of such things, she recused herself from that shoot and warned her replacement. And she was shamed and bullied online. Fiercely. For simply claiming that she had a right to do with her own body and for going so far as to care enough to warn another young woman so that she could, whomever that other young woman would have been, make the choice to do that shoot or not, having all the information. And that girl, Mercedes Grabowski, who didn't want to shoot a scene with a homosexual porn actor killed herself possibly in relationship to the online bullying or possibly in relationship to the very last scene that she'd ever shot in which she was terribly abused theoretically consensually by a Russian, who had been hired to basically beat her up on camera, and it may have been that that was what actually broke her psychologically, causing something like a psychotic break that ended in her killing herself. So we have death of one of my clients, death of a young or an actress named Mercedes. Death of Muslims killed by a madman in New Zealand, and the death of Christians in a cathedral in the Philippines killed by Muslims. So it's death, it's dark. Well, where is the sunshine in this conversation? Here's where I see it. If and only if we remember death, then perhaps, just perhaps, we can live a really beautiful and really good life today. So that's the point. Life is precious. When we mourn the loss of life and the tragedy that that undoubtedly is, then then we can live today being grateful that we are alive, that we have bodies. that we're able to choose what to do with ourselves from moment to moment and to do the best we can, to have the best life that we can and to support our loved ones and our communities in living the best lives they can live. Let's make a little music right now. Something to mourn these deaths and losses and tragedies and something to remind us of the preciousness Of life, the life that we're living. Each one of us who can hear these words and these notes is living a precious gift that's worth remembering. So take a listen. Before we end today's podcast, let's take a look at something. Yes, another something that's a little dark, but where humor was involved and should be involved. Because one of the things that humor does is demonstrate absurdid- absurdity in society problems that are at a level that's gotten to absurdity by being absurd, by doing outrageous comedy. We can tell the truth, and sometimes the truth that needs to be told. So, quite recently, there was a comedian on Saturday Night Live who told a joke in which he compared fans of R. Kelly to people who attend the Catholic Church. It's basically the same thing, because, you know, he was just saying, hey, R. Kelly apparently is guilty of sexual abuse, so if you like him, you like somebody guilty of sexual abuse. If you like the RCC, the Papists, as I prefer to call them, this comedian pointed out hey, you also like somebody guilty of massive amounts of sexual abuse. Now, of course, whatever sexual abuse R. Kelly is or is not guilty of, it is nothing like not even approaching the vast campaign to molest and rape children that this institution calling itself the Roman Catholic Church has been running for decades and decades and decades. And according to what I have uncovered, it appears very much that the hierarchy of that religious body knows and has known and has specifically not removed the perpetrators of these crimes from their positions of power. So we have a massive institution tolerating sexual abuse to the level of criminal negligence, tolerating the rape of children to an unconscionable degree that one could say quite reasonably as an institution they are responsible for that because it is a fire burning in their midst And they are, in terms of their leadership, they are consciously choosing not to put out that fire. They're allowing it to keep burning. So, as I understand culpability, that makes them culpable and responsible. So, when this man was comparing R. Kelly to the RCC a.k.a. Roman Catholic Church, which words I don't think they deserve to be used to describe them, he was being pretty kind to R. Kelly, actually. That's my take on it. He was being too kind to R. Kelly. What happened was some diocese of the papist organization known as the Roman Catholic Church, the RCC, got all huffy and demanded an apology from this comedian. So that's like a man who's been chronically beating his wife. And his wife is now dead. And now he's married again. And he beats that wife half to death and she leaves him. And then he's married a third time. And he's beating that wife nonstop. And nobody's stopping him. And then that man gets up on a soapbox and says that somebody should apologize for calling him a wife-beater. These people, known as the leadership of the Roman Catholic Church, with respect to this issue, seem to have no shame. That they can manage to say anything else on this topic besides the words, Forgive us. We will handle this problem. And they are manifestly invested in not handling this problem. To me, that's a lot like terrorism. People that perpetuate the abuse, rape, and molestation of children... Decade after decade after decade. And then people who support the organization that does that are like people who support terrorist organizations like the government of the United States, like the nation of Israel, like Saudi Arabia, maybe like ISIS. The people that support those regimes are either terrorists or are directly supporting terrorism, and in the case of the people in the Papist Organization, it would appear to me that those people are either perpetrating the rape and molestation of children or supporting it. And support can be done in many ways. One of the most effective kinds of support probably the most devastating, which probably led to most of the genocides and war crimes of the 20th and 21st centuries, I would suggest, are when ordinary people that we might otherwise think of as decent do nothing to stop these atrocities. In the state of Texas, by the way, if somebody... This is my understanding of the law as a non-expert, non-specialist, but my understanding is in the state of Texas, in the U.S. of A., if somebody is present when a murder occurred and did not intervene to prevent that murder, including at the risk of his own life, then that person who did not prevent the murder can, and apparently in Texas frequently, is accused of capital murder. And can be tried for murder, just as though he had taken the life of the other himself. And this comedian, who basically called this out, who had the guts to tell a hilarious joke that called out a massive international organization which is promoting and supporting and defending pedophiles, child molesters, and child rapists on an ongoing decade-after-decade-after-decade kind of basis. The comedian who called out that kind of nonsense is the one who's getting flack. For having the guts to tell the right kind of a joke. You see, in authoritarian systems, and in the minds and behaviors of those who have given their assent to an authoritarian system, to an authoritarian way of life, to an authoritarian value system and power structure, the problem is not the problem. The problem is anybody who points the problem out in an effective manner, for that person must be silenced so that everybody else can go on pretending that there isn't a problem. It's like the old joke about IBM. How many IBM engineers does it take to screw in a light bulb? None! We simply define dark to be standard. And that, my friends... Is episode one I'm just saying. Thank you very much for listening and catch you next time.